Welcome to episode 366 of the Microsoft Cloud IT Pro Podcast, recorded live on December 8th, 2023. This is a show about Microsoft 365 and Azure from the perspective of IT pros and end users, where we discuss a topic or recent news and how it relates to you. In this episode, we discuss some changes to where to find us on social media. Then we dive into our technical discussion around conditional access and break glass accounts and managing these security aspects of Microsoft Entra. We conclude the episode discussing native apps versus progressive web apps or PWAs and some of our recent frustrations with this trend toward those PWAs. You know what was a mistake? I can tell you what my mistake was this week. You could I don't know what my mistake was. I could tell you what Elon Musk's mistake was. That's a long list. We don't have time for that. Okay, what was your mistake this week? Hold on, I gotta do this <laughs> joke. So Elon pulled the go F yourself thing at that conference last week to all advertisers, like called out Bob Iger, everybody. And then told him he should resign, right? Yes. <laughs> so there's, I'm I'm done with Twitter. I don't, I don't go on Twitter, like I didn't delete my account, but I deleted all the apps, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm, I made you... Oh, I didn't know you haven't deleted it. You talked about deleting it. You have not though. I deleted the apps and all that stuff, but I figured okay. like the handles there, like they'll take it away someday. I, I don't I don't care, whatever. And then I made you go through and update, you know, like I just want it to be my threads handle and, and Mastodon and things like that. And neither here nor there. So I get all my Twitter news through threads these days. So apparently there's an account. It's called uh, Fabbit fun. I don't know. It's some service that's out there. I don't know what this thing is. But they ran a Twitter campaign and they called out that they are pledging an additional 100,000 of X advertising in support of its free speech ideals. And to all of you looking for a free perfect gift this holiday, we're also giving away a free $300 plus gift with your first box for new annual X users. Use code Go F yourself, except they spelled out F, which apparently <laughs> led to a slew of people discontinuing the service. <laughs> like actually saying like, hey, um, that might not have been a good idea to use uh, A, profanity, and you're like professional account kind of thing. But yeah, so they did that out. They ran that campaign. And much like Elon losing advertisers, because hey, uh, he might not be the stable genius we all thought he was. They are also bleeding customers from this subscription product that they have. So I thought that was kind of hilarious. There's going to be some great case studies and great movies someday about how you can literally light $40 billion on fire, $44 billion, and just put a match to it. Destroy people's lives, the people who work for that company, destroy a company itself, like all that kind of stuff. Like they're, They're going to be talking about this crap in business school like 20 years from now. (laughs) There are a few documentaries I'm waiting for. That's going to be one of them. The other one is going to be everything that went down with... Sorry, I just saw a message that distracted me and I don't know what it was about, but we'll come back to that later. I should put Do Not Disturb on. The other one I want to see a documentary on is everything that happened with OpenAI and coming and leaving and going and coming back and firing people and all of that. There are going to be some fabulous documentaries coming out of these last two or three months or six months (laughs) about Twitter and about OpenAI. And then when the bots take over the world. We haven't talked about the whole OpenAI thing, but for those that are interested, I'll put some links in the show notes. There's an 
a couple of excellent other podcasts out there that have covered it very well. Like they they covered it on the Verge cast, and also uh, Casey Newton and his partner in crime in the Hard Hard Fork podcast. They did a really good job kind of covering things. And then Casey Newton has an interview with Sam Altman, uh, Sam Altman rather, before and after, <laughs> which is kind of awkward and kind of fun. I have not watched that. I should go look up that. I'll add that to my list. That one I will add to my list and I will go do. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that'll get you there. Yep, that one will get me there. I'm from documentaries. News. I have an interesting one, Scott. I'm curious what you think about this. I have some thoughts about this one. I have some questions about this one. And this is has, I mean, I guess that has a little bit to do with admins if you want to enable this in your tenant. But there is a much-awaited calendaring feature coming to Outlook. The capability of keeping events you decline on your calendar. So this, yeah, this does not look like, so it's not even an admin. It's not enabled by default, you can go into Outlook on the web or the new Outlook for Windows. I don't see this for Mac OS yet. And in the settings, calendars, events, and invitations, you can go toggle an option, click a checkbox to save declined events. And then once it's enabled, you can decline events and they'll still be preserved on your calendar. Thoughts? Is this something you'll use and... Yeah. What do you think about this one, Scott? So I'm going to use this one all the time and, and for a couple different reasons. So as a remote employee and somebody who theoretically is responsible for a whole bunch of stuff and what is an ever-growing a massive platform, I get invited to a lot of meetings. And many of those meetings can be... They end up being more passive meetings, I guess. Like I know they're going to be passive in that I need to be there to get the information, but I'm not an active contributor. Like I'm not driving the conversation, nor am I responsible for ultimate success, right? Like I'm part of an outcome downstream in there, and I kind of recognize that walking into it. And that being the case, I have a lot of meetings today where I take them and I put them on my calendar and I mark myself as a maybe. And I do that very specifically so that the meeting stays on my calendar for search history. Like I'm always going into my calendar and searching. Like I remember like the title or the person. I, like I want to go back and look at it because I want to refer to the metadata from that meeting, like quite often people include, you know, agendas and attachments and things like that. But the other part of it and the other side of it is when that meeting's on your calendar, as long as you don't dump it all the way off by saying no, you'll actually end up with the chat in Teams. And we record so many of our meetings that it's hugely beneficial to me. Like, you know, as a remote employee who is time zone, time zone disconnected from many of my teams, I can't actually participate live even if I wanted to. Like, there is like a mission critical meeting every week on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Sorry, that's like prime time, 8, 8 p.m. local for me. Yep. So, sorry, like that's prime time for me to be with my family, not prioritizing work. So, I don't attend that meeting. I attended it once just to see how it went. And then I was like, uh, yeah, you know, I really should be here, but I'm not going to be here because it's me time. 
but I am a ravenous consumer because that happens on Thursdays of just picking it up Friday morning. Fridays tend to be slow days for me. It's a good time to actually catch up on meetings and figure out what's going on. So I do that religiously, like week over week. Great. Thursday meeting, it runs at 8 p.m. It's only supposed to be a half hour meeting. It often goes over an hour. <laughs> like They just keep going. So I catch up on that recording. I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't have myself marked as tentative on that meeting. But what this capability lets you do is it lets me decline the meeting, like a clear signal to the organizer and attendees and the people that are in that meeting that I ain't going to be there. Like this is not the forum where you're going to find Scott, but I get all those other additive benefits in that I can still search for it on my calendar. I can still refer back to the chat. I can refer to meeting recordings, all those good kinds of things. Like in my mind, the way this composes is it actually lets me be a shadow consumer and follower of those meetings, all while setting the tone that, like, yeah, sorry, I'm not an active participant. If you need me, I'm around, but you just got to catch me my time, not your time. Right. So do you think this will still preserve those team chats and stuff? I guess that's one thing it's like not called out. I would assume because you still have the event, you could still like open it up and get to the join link to go find it in Teams after the fact or see the recording. For meetings that you still have on your calendar, like because this persists across Outlook and Teams, like you know, you have like the calendar tab in Teams, you just go click on the event and then the chat tab's there. And then once you're in the chat tab, you can see all the other tabs, like meeting recaps and all those other kinds of things. Which let me tell you, like the meeting recap stuff getting way, way, way better to the point where like I record and transcribe all my meetings now because I'm kind of becoming dependent. On the AI summarization of the transcriptions. Like that stuff works really, really, really well. I think that's one area where AI, from my perspective, not to go too far down it, is the AI path again. But AI is getting really good as that some of that summarization stuff. It I'm still not sold on it coming up with net new, but I agree. Some of the summarization stuff is getting good. And I need to remember to record more of my meetings. I am still not like that's a habit I need to develop of always first thing, hey, do you mind if we record this meeting? Click record so I can have all of that stuff. Aside from that, I'm really curious to try this declined events too. I'm sort of in the same boat as you of some of these I want to go back and see later or see the chat for, but I actually have a bunch. So I get a bunch of meetings related to like MVP stuff that pop up on my calendar. And I'm the same as you. I always click tentative because I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm going to be there or not. Some of them are all just random time zones, but maybe I want to go catch up on stuff later. All of that. So I have a gazillion like tentative meetings on my calendar. But for me, my problem that I, I just realized this recently, I use Savvy Cal. It's very similar to Calendly for people to schedule meetings with me. And it looks at all of my different calendars, including my work one, a few other ones where I contract, and it gives people my availability. Tentative meetings still show me as busy and end up blocking off my time on these other services, on Savvy Cal or Calendly. So I'm similar to you is that I'm hoping declined instead 
because now I manually go through and I'm like flip it to free so that if someone wants to meet with me at that time because they're more important. That's another part of it. Yeah, it's like free, busy management. Right, like I'm hoping declined shows me as free and not as busy, even though it still shows on my calendar. So I think that's where I might use declined more is a lot of these... Again, these types of meetings, it's more FYI, if you want to show up, this is what we're going to talk about today. So whether I decline or tentative or accept, nobody really cares. 99% of these, they don't even have the auto responses turned on. So it's not even like people are getting emails about what you did about it. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to. It is just decline them, decline them, decline them. So my calendar shows free but I can still see him there and go attend him if I want to. I guess just a point of clarification. Some folks in the chat are kind of saying like, hey, why can't there, maybe another status like declined but keep informed or declined and kept on calendar or something like that. Just to be clear with kind of the way this one manifests, it's you're declining the meeting so this organizer is getting a decline, you're picking whether it stays on your calendar or not. So it's a meeting by meeting kind of thing. Like all meetings you decline don't have to stay on your calendar in this kind of model as it manifests for itself. It's kind of disappointing to me that it requires the Outlook on the web or the new Monarch client. I, have you played around with the new Monarch client yet? No, I sit in a Mac all day. I think I do have a VM where I turned it on. But I honestly can't remember. I don't spend enough time in Outlook on Windows that I, I won't lie, I don't pay that close of attention to Outlook on Windows. I live in the Monarch client on Windows day in, day out. It's pretty much trash. <laughs> I don't like it. Like I'm, I'm like old man, get off my lawn kind of thing when it comes to it. It's got some really weird behaviors. So when I ran into today, I seem to run into like some weird new education Monarch every day. Uh-huh. It's very opinionated about being a quote unquote like cloud product like it knows it's a web app and it knows it's a glorified web app on the desktop too I hadn't run into this one yet because so many of the things I do like we share like links to artifacts like word documents anything PDF stuff like that they all come out of like OneDrive or a SharePoint site and I was doing something with somebody yesterday and they sent me uh, for the first time in a long time I got an actual attachment like not a cloud attachment, but an attachment attachment. Okay. And it came through in the Monarch client. And so I said, I want to double click that and open it up. It was a Word document. Simple, right? Like, because when you're in Outlook and you double click on an attachment, it just opens locally on your desktop. Like it goes to a temp download location, blah, 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 opens up no friction. Uh uh-uh, uh, not in Monarch, because Monarch doesn't even know that it has separate windows, right? So it pops up the little pop up window. The Word doc doesn't render. And then it says open. But it doesn't say open locally. It says open in OneDrive. So then what it does is you click open. It pops up another window. And now that window is basically a web browser at that point, right? Because it's all just a view into a web browser. So then you know how if you have, you know, like Chrome, Edge, whatever it is, not configured to automatically go to a website, it pops up the little dialogue and says, you know, are you sure you want to open this on the web? Blah, blah, blah. So all I get is that little dialogue in a blank white window. And I'm like, how is it even opening it in OneDrive? What's it doing? It's taking the attachment and it's storing it random location in my OneDrive, and then it's opening there in Word on the web. It's like it did all the things that I did not want it to do. All I wanted to do was double click an attachment and have it open in my desktop client, and it did every single thing it could 
to ingest that data into OneDrive, which I did not want nor did I need, because now I got to go find it and clean it up later. And also everything it can do not to open that document in a local browser, which is like the very first setting that I set in all my office clients <laughs> is open everything on the desktop. Like I am not a fan of the web experiences. Like there's 99% of the time I'm using functionality that doesn't comport with the web experience. So I'm like adamant that you should open on the desktop. Like just such a broken, frustrating, like horrible thing. And ooh boy, is it slow. Like you can tell it is a glorified PWA wrapped in a desktop app. You know, like somebody cancels a meeting and you, and you know, you get the remove button that pops up just in the Outlook thing. When you click remove, you can sit there and you can pull out your watch and you can count the seconds until that item like disappears out of the list inside of Monarch. And then my third complaint for Monarch for the day is, oh my gosh, the UI is really, really, really bad. So by default, when you open new items, say you're like replying to an email. So you know, you send me an email and I just click the reply button in line. Even though it looks like I'm typing in the same window, it's actually created, I am typing in the same window, but it actually creates a new little sub tab down on the bottom of the window. So now when I like sometimes I go into my email client, I just kind of like glance like bottom up as I'm reading my email, and I'll have a whole list of tabs <laughs> along the bottom of the reading pane. And it's just all these like previous emails that I've looked at other stuff. Like there's no rhyme or reason to the way this thing works or how it comes together. I would rather have the version of Outlook or the version uh, from iOS or Android. Like take the non-tablety tablet version from Android, and it would be a thousand percent better than what Monarch is today. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. So I see people on Reddit always going through and like worrying that it's going to get turned on and all those kinds of things, and I can't blame them at all. It is a suboptimal experience for email. Because email should be quick, right? Like triage, in, out, and go. And it does, I mean, it's the PWA, because I just looked, I thought I had seen it. Like You can see the whole tab experience if you go look at Outlook on the web. If you just go to mail.office365.com and start opening emails and responding to them, you get the exact same thing where you get all those silly tabs across the bottom of your, it's essentially across the bottom of the reading pane. It's bad. <laughs> like, I get you have to drive new change yeah. and new behavior, and there's a desire to do that, but like, it is such a big bang approach that like, whew, it's going to be a rough one. So for those organizations that are out there where you're like, we don't like to train our users and we're very adamant and we're against that, like when this is shoved down your throats, and it will be shoved down your throats, it's kind of like one of those like prepare yourselves for like the IT help desk apocalypse because <laughs> it's not going to be fun. <laughs> Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to manage your Office 365 environment? Are you facing unexpected issues that disrupt your company's productivity? Intelligent is here to help. Much like you take your car to the mechanic that has specialized knowledge on how to best keep your car running, Intelligent helps you with your Microsoft Cloud environment because that's their expertise. Intelligent keeps up with the latest updates in the Microsoft Cloud to help keep your business running smoothly and ahead of the curve. Whether you are a small organization with just a few users up to an organization of several thousand employees, they want to partner with you to implement and administer your Microsoft Cloud technology. Visit them at intelligent.com slash podcast. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-I-N-K dot com slash podcast 
for more information or to schedule a 30-minute call to get started with them today. Remember, IntelliJink focuses on the Microsoft Cloud so you can focus on your business. I get why Microsoft is doing this, and a lot of other companies for that matter, I guess from a development perspective where everything is now just a glorified PWA. But I get so annoyed with it as well, from your perspective, whether it's that or whether it's silly things. Like I was in Yammer slash Viva Engage today for whatever reason. We don't need to go into the reason of why I'd even go in there. <laughs> but like I get this pop-up of, oh, we've released a new desktop client for Viva Engage. And I'm like, oh, sweet, let's just add it so I don't have to keep my browser up all the time. Mm-hmm. It just creates a PWA. <laughs> That's not the point. And I think some of my annoyance is that everybody now thinks PWAs are actually desktop applications. And I'm like, no, not really, because I'll even do silly things like I'm having an issue with Outlook or Outlook needs an update. And I'm like, okay, go restart Outlook. And I forget. And I'm like, ah, shoot, there goes my five PWAs that I was thinking or forgetting they weren't desktop apps. Or I go to open a PWA and like 10 browser windows pop open because that's what I had open last time I had my browser open. In this dependency on all my PWAs now to have the browser open and I can't just have an app open, I have to to have my browser open and browser updates affect my PWAs and all that. It's like, just give me a silly desktop app that's independent of my browser because that's the whole point of a desktop app. Otherwise, I might as well just go buy a Chromebook, right? And just run a browser for everything. (laughs) Yeah, and there seems to be, like, while we're on this, like, little ranty thing, so have you... (laughs) So, you know what a PWA is, right? A progressive web app. Like I think most of us do. Sometimes I feel like there's just this cognitive dissonance when it comes from like the way these things are positioned and pushed out to customers. So I, I don't know if you saw this one. I'll put it in the chat here on Discord and over in the show notes. You mentioned this one. I haven't read it. Yeah, we didn't talk about it. But nope. so this is the Windows Forms app. So Microsoft Forms, the new yes, the, Microsoft the new Forms, Forms app. It's here based on the title of the article. Yes. So published in the Microsoft Store, the most glory like this is like the the abomination of abominations of hey, we allow PWAs into the official stores when they're not native apps. Like it really makes me concerned sometimes for like the future of native apps on Windows when like everything's a web app like this. And Microsoft is seems to be going towards kind of like streaming Windows scenarios, even. So this thing is just a PWA. It is published in the Microsoft Store. It's got notes plastered all over it, like caveats, like, hey, the Forums app requires an internet connection. Well, sure, because all you did was wrap a web browser and <laughs> like <laughs> literally you you popped it up and put it in there. And you can tell how much of a like just a, a stretch this is because the post to launch the Forms Windows app, it's got two steps for getting the app that both show you ending up in the same place. One is going to the <laughs> Microsoft Store, and the other is just clicking the plus button in the browser to create a PWA. <laughs> it is, it's absolutely crazy. And then I wonder, like again, like the cognitive dissonance thing. So, like I look at this post, and the very first comment down at the bottom. Yep. So the very first comment says, "Great to see forms being released as a standalone Windows app and a browser app." Like. Did nobody know that you could do this the whole time? 
I'm so confused. <laughs> it, like that comment, I saw that comment as I was reading it. I'm like, that just made me laugh because it's not, it's just a PWA. And you're getting me all on this soapbox. So, and here's the other issue I have with PWAs. <laughs> Primarily, and I know, I don't know if this, I would assume this works differently in the new Outlook for Windows. Part of my biggest issue with PWAs is the whole issue we had with Teams for the longest time. And this is one of the reasons I still use the desktop app is I am literally signed into eight different Office 365 accounts. Have you ever tried to use PWAs for Outlook when you have to be signed into eight of them simultaneously? (laughs) It just, it breaks. And I've tried Like, I've tested this. This is not something that I haven't tried to do, where I go create profiles. And in my profiles, I sign into eight different versions of Outlook on the web, and I go try to create PWAs in all of these profiles. And I've ended up in this weird, bizarre scenario where sometimes I get like two or three of them as their own PWA. But then other times, like, three or four of the profiles get combined into the same PWA and I have like a toggle in my file menu to switch between my profiles and the same PWA for Outlook and it just is weird. It doesn't work. Good luck figuring out like the rhyme or reason here. Like the best thing to try and do is like if you have a multi-account scenario and you want to create a PWA for app one, like let's call it like inst- well instance A and an instance B kind of thing. So you go and create PWA from browser profile A, and then you go to profile browser profile B and you go to create the PWA there. The PWA always comes in with the same name and quite often clashes and just overwrites the other one that was already there. So then you lose your entire profile and cache history and everything you had from when you were saved in the first time anyway. Like I've got this weird flow, like even today, like I know like uh, it's a little easier on a Mac, I think, because when you create a PWA, it ends up as like a .app file in like your local user folder yep. in like your local home directory applications. So I go in there, I grab it and I rename it like to, you know, one or I put the user. Username, so it becomes like rather than like my PWA, I put like you know my PWA dot Scott dot app or whatever like I want the app bundle to be when it comes together. So when I go create the next one, it doesn't overwrite it because quite often these things don't have multi-profile kind of support. Like you know, I mentioned like done with the Twitter things, um, like doing Threads and Threads on the desktop. There is no desktop app on any platform, so it's all PWA. But I need both my Threads account and the podcast. Threads account, and so that means I have two different PWAs, both do the same thing, same exact website. But yeah, I had to go through this whole manual flow and machination to create them. Such a weird, frustrating, crazy thing. Like it makes you like it's scary when there's something out there that's so bad that it makes you appreciate like poorly written mobile apps <laughs> over just forced down your throat web apps that are not desktop apps. I agree. So bizarre. Okay. So now that we got to our pain points and headaches and sheer frustration with PWAs from, you can now see declined events on an Outlet calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Someone took a hot minute. Whatever. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to talk about today? We spent like 30 minutes on declined events and PWAs. Not quite 30 minutes. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm crazy. Like, am I really like old man yells at cloud and, and I'm I'm just nuts and out there? Am I the only one that feels this way? Like, 
Is it a bunch of other people like who don't feel this way? Like I know I'm not normal, but I, like, am I that far off the beaten path from normal? Like I seem to be questioning so so much in my life these days around these things. But um, yeah, uh, we can probably fit a couple more in. Do you want to talk about do do do? Uh, let's see. Why don't we do the break glass account thing? Okay, from Mr. Redmond, real quick. All right. So this was a new. This is a. PowerShell script, quick, nah, not quick fix, but a PowerShell script that Mr. Tony Redmond wrote about, and it ties into conditional access policies and break glass accounts. And we've talked about these before. I am in several different Microsoft 365 groups. The number of times break glass accounts come up or people have this comment of, I have a Microsoft 365 environment that I'm locked out of. I need help getting back in because I wrote my conditional access policies wrong or something like that. And I have to talk about break glass accounts and you need to create these. Break glass accounts, if you're not familiar with them, emergency access accounts, like stuff went bad in a hurry and you need to get into your tenant. And there's a couple scenarios where these can come into play is you wrote a bad conditional access policy. You essentially locked everybody out of your tenant due to your conditional access policy. I've also seen these used before. There was one instance, fortunately this is not a common instance, where MFA broke in Azure AD, now known as Entra ID. And if you did not have an account that didn't have conditional access on it, you couldn't get into your tenant. Uh, So you essentially got locked, or not conditional access, multi-factor authentication you were essentially locked out of your environment unless you could somehow turn off multi-factor authentication. What Mr. Redmond's script does is it is a script that'll automatically go through all of your conditional access policies, find all the policies in the tenant, look for the necessary exclusion, which in this case would be that break glass account, this emergency account, and If there's not an exclusion there, and if the policy is active, it goes ahead and adds this break glass account in as an exclusion to your policy. Just a super simple, handy tool to do this. Some people may be asking, like, why do I need a script to do this? Because I only have like five policies. Yes, I get that. I think I saw this somewhere. Someone was asking for the limit of conditional access policies to be raised. I feel like there's a limit of 190 conditional access policies. If you have 190 conditional access policies and you want to make sure your break glass account is applied to all of them, this script would come in very handy. That would be a very painful manual process. And even just making sure you hit them all. Generally, like even if you have five things, once you get to like more than two of anything, automation is key for consistency. Like you know, you just don't want to go back and forth. Yeah, uh, folks in the chat, 190. Like, isn't that a lot? Like, eh, it depends on your organization and who you are. I am amazed at the number of customers who come to me and they go, "Hey, I see this thing in your documentation that says blah 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 is a hard limit. Can we lift it?" Like. What's your definition of hard limit? Because mine is like, please don't come and ask me to do it. <laughs> I respond to a whole bunch of incidents every week from customers where they're just looking to do something, and we're like, yeah, I can understand the pain there, but hard limit means hard limit. Sorry, like, like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> I just looked because I couldn't remember, and 
I've never come close to this. I didn't even know there was a limit for this. Conditional access has a limit of 195 policies per tenant. There is also a limit on the number of conditional access policies that will be evaluated per user. And I think, I'm trying to pull up the article here, I think it's actually the same number, is 195, which would make sense because sometimes those policies would get evaluated for everybody. Limit, I don't even see it in here. But yeah, who knew? It's in there. Uh, yeah, 195 per tenant. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that existed. Never come close. But this script from Tony Redmond, very handy. Oh, now I lost it, didn't I? This is what happens when I browse in my tabs. <laughs> Just a nice script to keep handy. Like you said, if you have a couple conditional access policies, I mean, in my tenant, I have like 10 of them. And I honestly couldn't tell you if I have a break glass account on them or not. But just being able to have this handy, even if you have multiple administrators, make this a part of your... I mean, you could almost do this, I would think, as a regular process. Like, run this script on a monthly basis or on a weekly basis, just to make sure, too, that nobody has... Especially if you have multiple administrators, nobody's pulled out that exclusion or changed your exclusions or anything like that. Just using this as one of those maintenance tasks of making sure that your break glass user exists as an excluded user in all your conditional access policies. Great minds think alike. Tony does call that out in his article that you should absolutely think about running something like this as an automated thing. And please, 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 like if you're going to run automated things that operate against SaaS or like web-based constructs like Azure AD, like it lives in the cloud. So whatever you're running against it, you should probably make sure that lives in the cloud too. Like don't use your local like task scheduler or like a cron job locally to do this <laughs> thing. Push it up to Azure Automation or some kind of service like that to go ahead and have it execute and do its thing. So that's all solid advice as well. Yeah, I didn't even see that in there. Glad Tony and I think alike. Read between the lines, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, great minds think alike. You're on the right path there. Good to hear. Good to hear I'm on the same page with Tony. Oh, any other ones, Scott? Any other ones? I mean, there's always there's always more stuff out there. I feel like some of the other ones could take some more time. I know I was looking through our list, and I'm like, are there any of these that are quick? <laughs> no, there's not really quick in there. But it means we have more stuff for next week. It does. Yeah, there there's always more stuff to talk about in the cloud. Indeed, there is. With that, Scott, we should probably go enjoy our weekends. My wife. And one of the kids just took off for a birthday party, so who knows what the other three are doing downstairs while we're recording this. <laughs> we'll see. Before you get to your chaos, this is going to be the, let's see, this should come out on the 21st if things publish in the right order, uh, 21 December. So this will be our second to last episode of calendar year 2023. It continues to be the season of giving. We're still trying to raise some moolah for girls who code. I've seen some donations trickling in to those of you who have donated so far. Thank you very much. If you have the ability to, we'd love for you to give a little bit there. So you can just uh, go out. There's going to be a link in the show notes for everybody. As Ben just navigated me away from the piece of text that I was reading, oh, I got to start doing shared shared web documents with you. You're killing me there. So yeah, uh, give girlswhocode.com forward slash ms cloud it pro. And uh, yeah, uh, you only have to hear that spiel a couple more times, and then we'll get into 2024 and find something else to get on about. Awesome. Well, thanks. And yes, absolutely. Go donate. We'll try to beat our 
limit or not our limit beat our contributions of last year so thanks again scott enjoy your weekend hope everyone else is doing well and we will talk to you next week great thanks ben if you enjoyed the podcast go leave us a five-star rating in itunes it helps to get the word out so more it pros can learn about office 365 and azure If you have any questions you want us to address on the show or feedback about the show, feel free to reach out via our website, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.